It's good to see you guys. Uh, why don't you uh, turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5. Although I'll warn you, we won't get very far. Uh, no, actually, we'll be uh, finishing uh, 1 John right after the first of the year. So uh, some great uh, things uh, still to come in chapter 5. But uh, tonight, as we uh, actually start chapter 5, John continues to uh, lay out the criteria for those who truly know God, for those who are truly the children of God. This has been a theme all the way through his epistle. Uh, you know, uh, these are the, the uh, things to look for. These are the criteria uh, for those who know God, the children of God, and so on. And in verse 1, he says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Now, let's stop there. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. A few verses ago, back in chapter 4, verse, verse 15, he made this statement. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And once again, guys, John is trying to separate true believers from those who claim to be Christians and children of God, but had embraced false teaching. This was a very prevalent in John's day. It's still prevalent in our day. Uh, the devil has uh, really uh, flooded the zone, so to speak, with false doctrine. Well, when the church uh, first got going, the devil tried to really uh, destroy it by uh, uh, flooding the church back then with false teaching. And um, so John has been kind of addressing this all the way through his first epistle. And um, there were some that had gotten a hold of false teaching concerning the person of Jesus Christ. And uh, John is saying here that the true children of God believe that Jesus is the Christ. Now, let's stop there and just look at that for a second. Is John really saying that anyone who simply believes that Jesus is the Christ is saved? And for that matter, as the Christ, is Jesus a mere man or... Is he divine? Now, we have been talking about this in our study from, on John's Gospel on Sunday morning. So tonight's study and some of the uh, current John studies in the Gospel, uh, it's going to dovetail tonight. Going to kind of because the same author has been presenting the same uh, ideas, the same uh, you know things that we have been looking at, and tonight they kind of will uh, merge, but. Is John really saying that anyone who simply believes that Jesus is the Christ is saved? Sounds like that's what he's saying, all right? Um, and for that matter, is Jesus, as the Christ, was he a mere man or was he divine? Now, that, of course, I'm talking to people who have been, you know, in this church for a while, most of you, and I know where you're coming from. But I was telling somebody the other day that our congregation has grown beyond the walls of our church through the radio and the Internet. And there's a lot of folks that, you know, what we take for granted because we study the, the word verse by verse, the whole counsel of God. There are a lot of folks that this might be radical information. This, this, they, they may have uh, be at this moment caught in some kind of a cult. That's been feeding them all kinds of false doctrine. So, you know, what you take for granted, what you know and are grounded in, uh, be patient as we share some basic things tonight. 
because uh, obviously there's a lot of folks out there that need to know uh, what you know the scriptures really are saying on these things. But this is something that John has been addressing, something that was you know hotly debated among the Jewish people during and after Jesus' uh, life and ministry on the earth. In fact, it became what we would call today a hot-button issue. Was Jesus Christ the Messiah? Okay, yes, they wrestled with that. But in particular, was he the son of a man like Moses, or was he the son of God? Now, many believed back in Jesus' day that he was at very least a great prophet, all right, a great prophet, uh, maybe even the Messiah. I think far less believed that he was the Son of God or divine. This question, though, was so important that Jesus himself asked his own disciples to answer it. Turn to Matthew 16. Such an important question, Jesus asked his own disciples to answer it. In Matthew 16, starting in verse 13... We read, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Bar means son of. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So guys, we know that Jesus' own disciples had come to believe that he was the Christ, the Son of God. But what about the religious leaders of Israel, like the Pharisees? What do they believe? Well, turn to Matthew 22. And I'd like to kind of camp on this passage in Matthew 22, but let's look at Matthew 22, starting with verse 41. It says, While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, how then does David in the spirit call him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day on did anyone dare question him anymore. Now, it's obvious that Jesus put a great deal of importance upon people. Being able to correctly answer, to being able to correctly answer the question, who was the Christ? Who was the Christ? Let me first of all say this, and we have um, covered this before, but again... Uh, because we're on a uh, in a section where uh, John is, uh, you know, talking about those who believe that Jesus is the Christ are saved, we have to make sure we understand fully what he is saying. First of all, let me just say this: that of all the uh, of the four, uh, excuse me, uh, that all four of the world's main religions are looking for a Christ to come to the earth 
who will end all wars, all injustice, all hunger, heal all disease, and basically bring to the earth, bring the earth into a paradise state. The first one are the Hindus and their Western counterpart, the New Agers. They are looking for the coming of Maitreya Buddha, who they believe will be the next reincarnation of the Christ Spirit. They believe that Jesus was the reincarnation of the Christ Spirit for this present age, the Piscean Age. The symbol for the Piscean Age is a couple of fish. And of course, you see the symbol of Christianity is often, uh, you know, is a fish, right? That's because Jesus said, come on, make you fishers of men, all right? Uh, but uh, the New Agers see that, look, even the Bible talks about how Jesus was the, you know, what they say, the reincarnation of the Christ Spirit for this present age. We are currently in the Piscean Age, according to the New Agers, whereas Maitreya Buddha will be the next reincarnation of the Christ Spirit for the new age that is coming, the age of Aquarius. And they believe when he comes, he will bring the world into a complete state of enlightenment. Mankind will reach godhood, except for the monotheists who refuse to evolve and must be destroyed like cancer cells in a human body. If you read some of the writings of these new agers, very interesting and chilling. Uh, the explanation that I believe they will give the world when the Antichrist comes and they believe him to be the uh, reincarnation of the, you know, Christ spirit and how that, you know, they believe that if you don't believe you're divine, that means you are proud. Isn't that interesting how the devil flips things? If you don't believe you're God, you are proud. Uh, only when you believe you are divine, part of the God consciousness, right? Uh, the God force that fills everything, pan uh, pantheism. If, if you don't believe you're part of the God force, you're proud. You're Why? Because you're acting like an individual. We're not individuals. In the They say, well, we're like individual cells in the human body, but we're together one. And it's only when we reach a, 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 a critical mass of consciousness where, uh, where enough people believe that they are God that the human race will be catapulted you know, into a, a basically an evolutionary, will happen almost instantaneously, where we will be cast into this where uh, mankind will uh, ascend to godhood. And all our problems would be solved, basically. Uh, what is holding us back in part of the monotheist, they say, those that believe in one God, uh, as opposed to those who believe all is God, pantheists. And uh, so, you know, they're not as evolved spiritually and mentally. They're holding us back. They even call us cancer cells in the body of mankind. And so we have to be destroyed. We have to be taken out. But it's okay. We'll be reincarnated again onto the earth, this time hopefully more enlightened, more with it, get with the program, that kind of thing. So that's going to be, it's a very chilling explanation, I think, for when the Antichrist starts his uh, killing spree. You know, people will actually justify it and say it's a good thing, right? Very interesting. The second group that's looking for a Messiah are the Muslims, and in particular the Shiite Muslims. They're waiting for the coming of their Messiah, or Mahdi, whom they believe will be the 12th Imam. 
according to the Shiites, and uh, the Iranians are Shiites, Shia. According to the Shiites, the 12th Imam disappeared as a child in the year 941 AD. He's coming back, they believe. When he returns, uh, they believe he will reign on the earth for seven years before bringing about final judgment and the end of the world. Interesting, if you study this, what they believe, they believe that Jesus will come back with him, the Mahdi. Jesus will be the enforcer, and he will kill the Jews and Christians. This is how twisted the devil has gotten some people thinking. The Mahdi will come, the Messiah, and he will have a right-hand guy, an enforcer, Jesus Christ, who the Muslims pay lip service to as a great prophet. Not as great as Muhammad, of course, but, you know, a great prophet. And, uh, but he will be the enforcer who will kill Jews and Christians and purge the earth. They believe in uh, Islam that there's only two houses. Uh, the um, Dara, uh, Dara Harb and Dara As-Salam. Dara Harb is house of war. Dara As-Salam is house of Islam, uh, which is the house of peace. And there can't be true peace on the earth until all the Dara Harb are destroyed, which Jews and Christians, of course, fit into. So that's Islamic theology. The third group that are looking for a Messiah, of course, is the Jewish people. And uh, they're looking for the promised Messiah that God promised them in their holy scriptures, the Tanakh, which is our Old Testament. And when he comes, they believe he will conquer Israel's enemies and establish a kingdom upon the earth, at which time war will cease Disease will be cured, hunger and poverty will come to an end, and the world will enter into a glorious utopian period known as the Kingdom Age. Now, the, lastly, the last group, of course, are Christians who are looking for the second coming of Jesus Christ, we believe, whom we believe is the true Messiah and Savior of mankind. And, of course, our beliefs dovetail very much with the Jewish belief of the Kingdom because the kingdom that's coming that Jesus is going to establish was a promise given to the Jewish people. Paul said, as believers in Christ, we've been grafted in, all right? But uh, we believe, like the Jewish people, that when Jesus or the Messiah comes, he's going to establish a kingdom upon the earth, a thousand-year uh, kingdom known as the millennial kingdom. So, guys, the question is, uh, the excuse me, so the question, who is the Christ? And the idea is, the one and only true Christ is a very important question, especially in the day we're living in, because I believe we're in the last days. And Jesus said about the last days in Matthew 24 that many false Christs would come in these last days, having supernatural power to deceive. Now, he said this would lead up to the coming of an ultimate deceiver and false Christ, whom we know as the Antichrist, the Antichrist. And this man will have supernatural power, charisma, and wisdom. And most of the people in the world will embrace him, thrust him into power. He won't come into power as a military tyrant. That will come later. Uh, he will have the answer to the world's problems. The world will go through some kind of chaos, whether it's um, a limited nuclear exchange. You can read Ezekiel 38 and 39. It could be a global financial collapse. That's very possible. Uh, it could be that, uh, you know, uh, our enemies, uh, especially as Americans, could uh, 
detonate uh, some nuclear warheads in the atmosphere and create an EMP, electromagnetic pulse, that will fry all the circuitry uh, in the United States, throwing us immediately back into the 1800s. And these circuits cannot be repaired. They have to be replaced. And so, you know, everything that depends on electricity. And if you're a city dweller, like all of us here, we don't live on farms. Um, many people do, but we don't. If you live on a farm, it's not going to affect you too much because you, you, know, you have your well, you grow your food, you have your livestock. You know, so you'll be self-sufficient. But the people who are city dwellers are going to be really uh, hurting. And no water, no uh, electricity, no heat, uh, no food. I mean, it's going to be uh, instant chaos, all right? And, um, but, you know, we, we, are, we are, something is going to happen that's going to cause, it could be a worldwide uh, pandemic of some kind. It might be a combination of several things. But something is going to happen that's going to cause the people of this world to become so uh, terrified. Something that possibly will bring us to the brink of total annihilation and extinction. That the world will, will want to come together in, in a one world government. And here's the Antichrist. He comes on the scene. He's brilliant. He's articulate. He's charismatic. He has these supernatural abilities. And people will thrust him into power thinking he is the Messiah. You've got most of the people in the world looking for a Messiah. And uh, they're going to get behind this guy. Even the Jewish people initially will think he's their Messiah. So whatever that is, it's coming. And... Um, he, I believe this man is around right now. And uh, again, when he shows up, uh, people will embrace him, thrust him into power, and support him as he establishes a global one-world government. And guys, the people of this world are ripe, aren't they? Think about it. The people of this world are ripe to receive a global leader who will unite the world and bring about a utopia of peace and prosperity for all mankind. They're looking forward to it. And we have a lot of division. It's not just in our country. Our country, I don't think, has ever been as divided. I could be wrong, maybe during the Civil War days. Uh, but we're at, uh, approaching that. Uh, if we're not as divided as we've ever been, we're approaching that. But the rest of the world is, you look at France and the unrest there and riots and around the world. And it's just really something. And people are getting tired. They want uh, some kind of peace. They want relief. And so they're ripe. And the devil has orchestrated this so that when the Antichrist is ready to be revealed, the world will be ready to receive him. And, well, the media's there. They're, you know, they've been cheerleading for the devil for a long time. All right? Um, so they're waiting for their Messiah, quote-unquote, who will bring peace and prosperity to the earth. However, as Paul the Apostle prophesied in 1 Thessalonians 5, when the people of this world finally think utopia has arrived and they say among themselves, finally, our Messiah is here. He's on the throne. And he has brought us finally an era of peace and prosperity to the earth. Paul said, be very careful for when they say peace and safety. The people of this world, then sudden destruction comes upon them like labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Judgment will come. But understand that when Jesus asked this question of the Pharisees in Matthew 22, what do you think about the Christ? He immediately adds, 
whose son is he? Guys, this is the supreme question when it comes to understanding and therefore believing in the one and only true Christ. Listen, will he be the son of a man or will he be the son of God? Why is this question so important? Well, I'll have you turn one more time to John 8, all right? John chapter 8. And again, you've been coming to the Sunday morning studies. Uh, we have talked about this many times. Why is this question so important? What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Is he simply the son of a man? Or is he the son of God? Why is that so important? John 8, verses 23 and 4, Jesus said to the Pharisees, You are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. You're going to go to hell if you do not believe that I am he. The Greek is literally that I am. If you don't believe that I am the name of God, they go in me. Uh, the same idea in the Old Testament, Exodus 3, verses 13 and 14, God said, my name is I Am. Jesus said, if you don't believe I'm the great I Am, basically is what he is saying, you will die in your sins. Back in Matthew 22, verse 42, so obviously, whether a person believes that Jesus is simply a man or is God incarnate will determine where they spend eternity. That's why the question is so vital. And, of course, you guys know it. We've been studying it for a long time, looking at it, uh, declaring from Scripture what, who Jesus really is. But you would be shocked if you knew how many churches are not teaching this or driving it home. I'm not sure uh, a lot of pastors even believe it. A lot of liberal pastors don't. They don't believe Jesus is, you know, Son of God, they believe is a... Well, we'll talk about that more in a second, okay? Um, but back in Matthew 22, verse 42, again, Jesus said, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Now, here's what the Pharisees said to him. This, he is the son of David. Who is the Christ? What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? He is the son of David. The response of the Pharisees to Jesus' question was the standard belief held by the Jewish people as to whom Messiah would be when he finally came to the earth. As I said earlier, they believed that he was going to be a prophet, like Moses. Where did they get that from? Well, in Deuteronomy 18, verse 18, Moses said, I will raise up for them, he's now speaking on behalf of God, I will raise up for them a prophet like you. Now, God is speaking through Moses to the Jewish people, telling them that God has told me, that at one point he's going to raise up a prophet like me, okay, uh, from among your brethren, and, you know, I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Now, I'm just trying to get you to think like a Jew, okay? Just think Jewish thoughts here about Messiah, all right? The Jewish people believe that Messiah would be a great prophet, like Moses. What else was Moses to the nation. It was a deliverer, right? Who delivered them out of the bondage of Egypt, or God used him to. So Moses was a great prophet. He also was a great deliverer. 
And they believed that Messiah was going to be like Moses, a prophet, a deliverer. Of course, in their minds, they're thinking he's going to deliver them from Gentile oppression. In Jesus' day, they believed that this is why his disciples gathered to him uh, so enthusiastically is because the Jewish mindset was when Messiah comes, he's going to lead us at that time, of course, in a revolt against the Roman Empire. He will, we will overthrow the yoke of Roman oppression, drive them from our land, set the kingdom up where the Messiah will, and he will reign over the entire world, over the entire earth from Jerusalem, and we're going to be his prime ministers. So in their minds, the Messiah was going to be a deliverer, but a political uh, deliverer, that kind of thing. Well, we know that that's not what Jesus came to do the first time. He came as a prophet. He spoke on behalf of his father. He came to be a deliverer, but not from the bondage of Gentile dominion, but from the bondage of sin and death through his death. Okay. Um, but here's what I want you to see. The Jewish people believed that Messiah was going to be like Moses. And because Moses was a man, Moses never claimed to be divine. Messiah is going to be a man. If you were to ask an Orthodox Jew that question, who do you think Jesus is? Um, you know, why don't you believe he's the son of God? They'll tell you. Because Moses was not the son of God. He was not divine. And we believe, because Moses told us, Messiah was going to be like me. And that's the thinking. And then, of course, to add to that, later on in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God made David a promise that from his own loins would come the Messiah, that Messiah would be a descendant of David. And because David was a man, David never claimed to be divine, therefore, once again, Messiah would be simply a man and not the Son of God. Now, as we have talked about in the past, this happens to be the standard response of many today when asked who Jesus Christ is, right? If you, you go out onto the streets or uh, if you went with our evangelism team to the uh, Woodfield Mall and you just started asking people, you know, what do you think about Jesus? Okay, you can even, what do you think about the Christ? What personalize it. What do you think about Jesus, the Christ? Okay. Uh, whose son is he? If you ask that question, you know, um, you know, who was he? Or, you know, who is he? We believe he's still alive. He's eternal. Some folks don't believe that Jesus is God and eternal. So he lived and died 2000 years ago in their minds. Okay. But if you were to just ask people, you know, who is Jesus Christ? Um, many would say, well, I believe he was a great teacher sent by God to teach us truth. That, that's where they're coming from. I believe he, he was a great teacher sent by God to teach us truth. Would you, you would ask him, then, do you believe uh, he was God in human form? Many would say, well, no, I don't believe he was God in human form. In fact, uh, I think we're all on the road to Godhood. This idea of the fact that this is Hinduism, course, embraced by the New Age movement, westernized Hinduism, uh, that believes, and I believe that guy started in the Garden of Eden, you shall not surely die, Satan told Eve, you shall become like God. So I believe that that initial lie that Satan sowed in the Garden of Eden, that man would not surely die, Eve, you're not going to surely die, there's no, uh, you know, there's no ultimate death, we just keep getting recycled, okay, reincarnation. 
And every time we get recycled on the earth, we become a little more enlightened, a little more godlike until we eventually evolve into godhood. All right. That's what many believe. So that's a mentality that we are uh, being uh, confronted by uh, a lot in these last days. Who do you think Jesus, you believe he's the son of God? Well, no, no, I don't believe he was the son of God. Unless you're saying that, was he a son of God? Like I'm a son of God. Because uh, I believe we're all evolving to Godhood, people would say. You might follow that up by asking them, well, do you believe that he is the savior of the world who came into the world to save us from sin? As we've been talking about Sunday, a lot of folks will say, well, no, I don't believe in sin. I mean, I believe what's right for you is right for you, and what's right for me is right. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. But no, I don't believe that there is such a thing uh, called sin. And therefore, you know, because there's no sin, I don't see any need for a Savior. And that's why I reject Christianity. I just think that, uh, you know, we're, uh, we're all doing... Uh, living according to what we believe is right, and 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 that's all there is to it, kind of a thing. And um, again, whatever is right for you is right for you, and whatever is right for me is right for me. And uh, so, you know, as we said last Sunday, uh, you know, when people um, lie to get the promotion, or or you know, engage in homosexual activity, or kill a baby in in the womb, that's not sin. That's my truth. That's right for me to do. And so they justify it. If you were to ask them, you know, do you believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven? Again, they would say, well, no, I believe there's many roads that get to heaven, lead to heaven. Uh, we're living in a very pluralistic, uh, kind of a, of a tolerant uh, society. There's, you know, to believe there's only one way to heaven. In fact, somebody was just telling me Somebody was uh, that they knew uh, was interested in their faith. So they asked them about it. They seemed genuinely interested in the Christian faith and wanted to know. They asked the person uh, who was a member of our church um, to explain the Christian faith to them. So this person did. And in the course of explaining it said, well, we believe Jesus Christ is God, the only way to heaven. And that just blew their mind and shut the conversation down. Uh, because in their mind, how arrogant and proud is it for you to think that there's only one right way to heaven and you have it, and that all the other religions of the world are wrong and uh, false. So sh Satan sh is so brainwashed people, he shuts them down. Ours is a very exclusive religion. It's exclusive because Jesus said, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. If the Lord would have said, I'm one of many roads, you know, just be sincere. You know, whatever you believe doesn't matter as long as you're sincere. Well, then we'd preach that message if Jesus said it. He didn't say it. And therefore, we have to stand up for the truth. And yet people don't want to take the heat. They don't want to be labeled as a, a bigot or intolerant or whatever. And so they try to downplay it. And you have people who call themselves Christians, even leaders, uh, and I've kept on top of it over the years, who, who have believed that, look, you don't even have to believe in Jesus to go to heaven. As long as you're sincere, uh, as long as you live up to whatever light you have, if you're a Muslim or a Hindu or a Buddhist, as long as you're sincere, because of the sincerity of your heart, God will, you know, he will apply the blood of, this is what I've heard, apply the blood of Jesus Christ to those people's lives, and they'll get to heaven. 
Well, where do you get that from? What's the point of sending missionaries out then? If, if anyone who believes in anything, just simply if they're sincere, they're going to get to heaven. Well, why be killed for our faith trying to reach people with the gospel? Why, why all the martyrs throughout the history of the church? If it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. This is a last day's lie. And it's really sad because the devil has uh, brainwashed people who have obviously been willing to be brainwashed because they're not holding fast to the scriptures. But he's, he's dumbed things down. He, he's broadened what Jesus said was very narrow. And uh, a gospel is being preached to people that is not the true gospel, as we've been talking about on Sunday. It's a bent, twisted, distorted gospel that can't save anybody. But here's, here we are in the last days. It's just amazing to me how many people think that Jesus was a good man, even a great man, but not the Son of God, just a mere man. Whenever we talk about those who believe that Jesus was a great man, but not God, you know, the words of uh, C.S. Lewis in his famous book, Mere Christianity, come to mind. Can I read this to you again? We've talked about it. Let me read to you what C.S. Lewis said on this subject. He said, you know, I'm quoting him, I'm, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. Lewis said, that is one thing, that is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up uh, for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but let us not come with any uh, patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. Uh, he did not intend to, end quote. Jesus never, never said he was a mere man who um, was sent to teach spiritual truth, but that's all. Sure, he said, I don't say anything but what my father has told me to say. The words that I speak are the Father's words. But he went all over the place claiming to be the great I Am, the Son of God. It was the hallmark of his ministry, as we have studied in John's Gospel. I mean, again, guys, how, anybody, how anyone can say that Jesus was a great teacher and yet reject everything he taught about himself, to me, is just ridiculous. I mean, good heavens. Who was Jesus Christ? Oh, he's a great teacher. Well, he said he was God. Do you believe that? Oh, no, I don't believe that. I mean, you know, we're all, we're all you know, on the road to Godhead. Well, he believed, he, he said he was the only way into heaven. Do you believe that? Oh, no, there are many roads that lead to heaven. I mean, well, you, you, you reject everything he said about himself. What makes him such a great teacher in your mind? I associate greatness with regard to a teacher or somebody who teaches truth. If a guy's babbling all over the place and spouting off a bunch of junk that you know is not true, he's not a great teacher in my mind, okay? This brings us back to the uh, confrontation Jesus had with um, 
the religious leaders of his day over this very issue back in Matthew 22. Again, he confronted, he was always confronting people with truth. And especially the Jewish leadership, and of course the Pharisees were right at the top of the list uh, because they opposed him um, most vehemently. But um, he often confronted, you know, look, I believe Jesus Christ loved the Pharisees. I believe that he wanted them saved. And there were some that did get saved, right? Paul the Apostle eventually got, I mean, Saul of Tarsus eventually got saved and became Paul uh, the Apostle. He was a Pharisee. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, John 3. He said some of us came to Jesus under the cover of darkness. Some of us, he says, so he represented a Pharisee's total of about 6,000 uh, men in Jesus' day. But there was a small group who had come to believe he was the Messiah. And I believe went on to be saved. But um, he, he, he loved the Pharisees. And so he was always confronting them, trying to challenge their ideas about things. Sometimes we get so locked in our belief system, we don't question it anymore. Now, I, I think it's a good thing to question your Christianity. Because the Bible says that truth will stand up to scrutiny. And you know what? When you question your Christianity, what happens is, all right, why do I believe this? How can I prove this? How do I know this is true? I have been challenged more by the cults when I was a young believer. They drove me to the scriptures because I knew what I believed. I just couldn't always defend why I believed it from the Bible. So they would hit me with something. I didn't have an answer. I'd run back to the word. I would study it. And I, now I was equipped. It, truth will stand up to scrutiny. You never have to worry about the truth of Go after the truth. Study it. Know it. Challenge it. It'll always come up on top as truth. And so he was challenging the Pharisees who were so locked into their Judaistic way of thinking that, you know, they weren't really thinking through some of the apparent contradictions in what they believed. And he's going to nail them right here big time. This is probably the greatest passage in the New Testament for how he nailed these guys, I believe, out of love, wanting them to, to, to rethink some of the things they had embraced and what they believed in the hopes of them coming to him in truth. But um, this was, a, 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 again, a hot-button issue, and he confronted these Pharisees uh, with the idea, was Messiah, with the Christ, was he simply, simply a, a, going to be the son of a man? Or was he going to be, or is he, the son of God? And again, Matthew 22, verse 42, Jesus said to these Pharisees, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, Then how does David in the Spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. If David then calls him Messiah Lord, how is he his son? Now, look at the way the master handled this, okay? Jesus is the master. And when he confronted these guys with their concept of Messiah, the Christ, all right? Um, and they came back with the common, uh, this was the uh, accepted belief it was based on Scripture, okay, that Jesus was going to be the son of David, all right? Uh, Jesus didn't argue with them. He simply took him to that very Scripture. 
uh, a Messianic psalm, Psalm 110, verse 1. And he quotes it here, verse 43. How then does David in the Spirit call him Lord, saying, so this is a quote now, uh, Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. If David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And guys, every Orthodox Jewish scholar in that day interpreted this to refer, Psalm 110, verse 1, interpreted this to refer to the Messiah. Because they believed only the Messiah could sit at the right hand of Yahweh, God the Father. And this had to be talking about Messiah. could be talking about anybody else but Messiah. See, Jesus believed in the inspiration and authority of the Old, our Old Testament scriptures. For he said that David spoke, listen now, he said David spoke these words in the Spirit. How does David then say in the Spirit? That's Jesus' way of saying David was speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So he, obviously our Lord Jesus Christ, of course he did, believed in the inspiration, the divine origin of the Word of God. And of course, if it's the Word of God, it has to be inerrant. It has to be true because God is inerrant and God is true and he can't say anything that is untrue. So guys, if, if the Messiah is going to be the son of David, how does David say in Psalm 110 verse 1, uh, in the spirit, you know, sit at my right hand. Uh, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Um, Jesus knew the Pharisees would never dare to question the accuracy or the authority of their own scriptures, which meant they were now caught on the horns of a dilemma, so to speak. If Messiah is David's son, Jesus asked, how then could Messiah also be David's Lord? You see, they lived in a very strong patriarchal society. And as such, the son always called the father Lord, but the father never called his son Lord because the father was greater in authority than his children. So they referred to him with a term of respect, Lord, the one who was, you know, leader and master of the home in, in uh, uh, you know, in um, uh, David's case, you know. Um, but they always called the children, called the Father Lord. And so the question had them completely stumped. They didn't have an answer they could come up with uh, that would have solved what now appeared to be an apparent contradiction in their scriptures. Okay, they, they always believe. And again, this is why the Lord challenged them. I, I believe he loved them. I, it wasn't to win the argument. It was to win the person. That's what the Lord did. It wasn't about win. He didn't need to win an argument. He's God. He could have won any argument. It wasn't to show these guys how much he knew. It was to challenge their sacred belief system that they you know, embraced and never challenged, never questioned any anymore. And it was keeping them hellbound. And so he said, guys, look, what about the Christ? Whose son is he? And he knew they were going to go to Psalm, 1, our Psalm 110, verse 1, uh, where God said, you know, again, let me quote it to you. The Lord said to my Lord, 
Now, David is talking. The Lord, all capitals, right? Yahweh said to my Lord, David's talking, sit on my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. How does David call him Lord? How was he David's son if David calls him Lord? Now, they had not ever thought about that. It's interesting how the Bible says that the Jewish eyes were blinded. You remember when, uh, when, when finally Saul of Tarsus, uh, when, when he was challenged, right? And, and the Lord blew up his belief system. And remember when Ananias prayed after Paul was, Saul was stricken with blindness. And eventually God sent Ananias to him, a believer. And he prayed over Saul. And what fell from his eyes? Something like scales. A blindness has happened to Israel in part until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in, Paul said. The Jewish people right now are blinded uh, for the most part. There are Jews getting saved, don't get me wrong. But there is going to be an incredible amount of Jews who will get saved during the tribulation period once the church is raptured out of here. God will turn again to the nation of Israel. And the first thing he's going to do is use two witnesses uh, to convert 144,000 Paul the Apostles who are going to go into all the world. Uh, I'm being facetious. I mean, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes, Jewish people, who are going to be anointed, I believe, like God anointed Paul to go out and preach the God. Can you imagine? 144,000 Paul the Apostles unleashed on this world. They are going to have such an incredible ministry. Some would argue, and have argued, that in all the years of the Christian church across this world, there probably will be more people saved under these guys' ministries in the tribulation period than maybe were ever saved in the history of the church, you know, until the rapture. I don't know. It's interesting to think about, okay? But um, but blindness has happened to a lot of the Jewish people now. Well, there's a lot of blindness that has happened to, you know, spiritual, happened to a lot of people who have embraced false teaching. And the Pharisees, um, you know, they had embraced Judaism, which was of God, but they didn't take it all the way to what God intended to point them to Messiah who would die for their sins. See, they, they got stuck somewhere between the beginning and the end, and they got stuck in the middle, and they now were embracing a false religious system, because it wasn't pointing them to the, you know, Judaism was the root, Christianity was the fruit, the conclusion, and they weren't going, you know, Messiah when he came, Jesus, they should have embraced him and gotten saved, and they would have been completed Jews, as we say, saved. But, um, so, but Jesus challenged their thinking, and they didn't have a, a, a comeback. It was something where, have you ever experienced, as I have, where you're witnessing to somebody, and the conversation is just going on and on, and and God lays something on your heart to say to them, and all of a sudden it's like a, a brick, has, somebody has nailed them, right? You know, in, in the solar plexus, they just, they, they, it's like they never heard that before. I remember a pastor saying one time, and uh, he is part Jewish, got saved, he's a well-known uh, pastor and author and speaker, and uh, he was um, witnessing to a, a, a Jewish person, and uh, a rabbi actually. And um, again, the rabbi's eyes were closed. He could not see, you know, and he said, um, well, what about, you know, Isaiah 53, uh, the Christian said. 
to the rabbi. Well, that's talking about the Jewish people. We are the suffering servants. He said, well, if you look at Isaiah 53, it says the suffering servant. Not plural as the Jewish people in general. It's talking about one suffering servant, your Messiah. And the guy just stopped dead in his tracks, this Christian said, and his eyes got wide. It's like he never saw that in the scriptures before. And this is what Jesus was doing right now with these Pharisees, right? And they were dumbfounded. They, they, they couldn't come up with an answer to solve this apparent now contradiction in the scripture. And guys, we would have to agree that the problem was unsolvable if, if you believe that Jesus was only a man. However, the problem is easily solved if you understand and believe, as we do, that Jesus was both the son of David, a man, but also the son of God, second person of the Trinity, and therefore, as God, he was greater in authority than David, of course, which meant David rightly referred to him, the Messiah, as Lord. We have talked about this, the fact that Jesus was fully God and fully man. We don't believe he was 50% God and 50% man. We believe he was fully God and fully man. It's what the theologians have called the hypostatic union. Hypostatic, the hypostatic union is the mysterious joining of the divine nature with the human nature in one person, that's Jesus Christ. And that's what we believe. That's what scriptures teach, right? One author put it this way, said, and I quote, Jesus has, has two complete natures, one fully human and one fully divine. What the doctrine of the hypostatic union teaches is that these two natures are united in one person, in the God-Man, Jesus Christ, uh, and not and Jesus is uh, are united in one person, in the God-Man, who is Jesus, and Jesus is not two persons; he is one person. The hypostatic union is the joining, mysterious though it be, of the divine and the human in in the one person of Jesus. End quote. Again, we have talked about this, so I won't spend a lot of time on it. Why couldn't Messiah have been just a man? Why did he have to be the God-man? Well, because if he was born of a man, if he had an earthly father, the sin nature passed down from Adam to every father that has ever lived, and from the father to the children. In Adam, we all die, not in Eve, it's passed down from the Father. If Jesus had been born, we'll say, of Joseph and Mary, he would have had a sin nature. He would have had original sin on his soul. He would have been a sinner. And sinners can't die for sinners. So the Father had to impregnate through the Holy Spirit, placing in Mary's womb, uh, you know, the seed of God, uh, then conceiving with the egg, and forming the embryo that eventually grew into Jesus when he was delivered, right? But because the Father miraculously uh, impregnated Mary without any human earthly contact, he was born from an earth, a heavenly Father, was born without a sin nature, and therefore he was pure. And then from that point he lived a sinless life, and as the Lamb of God, then he could die for us because he was innocent. He was uh, not guilty of anything. He had not, never committed 
he was tempted in all points like we are yet without sin, writer of the Hebrews tells us. And yet down through the centuries, Satan has deceived millions who regard Jesus as, you know, one of many religious teachers, leaders, you know, a mere man. Many of these religious leaders have come down the pike of human history, and um, he was a great teacher, they say. A wonderful example of virtue and servanthood for all of us to follow, but he wasn't divine. And so that's a problem. And that's a problem for the liberal theologians, yeah, uh, but not for us who are evangelicals, who believe Jesus Christ is, in fact, the Son of God, God in human form. But let me just read to you what one author and historian uh, says on this subject. He said, you know, he's recounting this, what we just talked about. He said, uh, throughout the centuries, scholars and skeptics, skeptics have given many different answers to the query, who is Jesus Christ? His life is the most influential ever lived, and its, and its impact continues to escalate. Still, Jesus' true identity is still hotly debated by modern historians and theologians. Countless opinions have appeared as unbelievers have attempted to explain away the truth about him. The theological skeptics and liberals of the 18th and 19th centuries were intent on denying Jesus' divinity. They viewed him as the quintessential, strictly human moral teacher in whom the spark of divinity inherent in all people burned most brightly. So we all have the spark of divinity in all of us, okay? Jesus had it burned brighter in him than in most, but okay, he's not any different than we are. Um, in their minds, Jesus' sacrificial life provided mankind with a model that all should follow, but not with a means by which men might be saved. Thus, he was an example for faith and not the object of faith. See how subtle that is, but how damning? He is the um, example for faith, but not the object of faith, the liberal theologians say. Other conceptions of Jesus range from the crusading socio-political revolutionary of, of liberation theology to the cynical Jewish sage of the Jesus Seminar to the countercultural hero, hero of the rock musicals Godspell and Jesus Christ Superstar. But all such fanciful and blasphemous viewpoints are far removed from the God-man revealed in Holy Scripture. They say more about the obstinate unbelief and perverted imaginations of people who created them than about Jesus' true identity. There's a lot of folks concocting all kinds of ideas about who Jesus is. Many of them are professors and so-called scholars of the liberal persuasion. The author said, ironically, in all the debate over him, Jesus' own self-testimony is seldom considered reasonably. Did he as historic Christianity has always maintained, claimed to be God incarnate in human flesh? Or, as skeptics argue, did his followers later invent those claims and attribute them to him? All this unbelieving pseudo-scholarship ignores the biblical account of his life and ministry, which leaves no legitimate doubt about who Jesus declared himself to be and who he was, end quote. So it's pretty clear for any of us, to any of us, who um, hold the scriptures in high esteem, that Jesus claimed to be God in human form. 
that only the God-man could die for us. If he was just a mere man, he couldn't have died for us because he would have had sin on his soul, as we just said. Guys, let me just end the study tonight by asking you the question. Now, I know that in this room, I know most of you, um, and, and probably all of you are saved, okay? I'm pretty convinced. But let me talk to you as if this room is filled with people that might not be saved. And, and you can use this when you go out and witness to people. Because we always want to, at one point, go from uh, the kind of the, um, you know, the general to the personal. If I was addressing a, a large group of people tonight, and I had just presented what I have presented to you, at one point I would then point it to them personally. I would say to them, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And understand that saving faith is personal faith. I take them back to Matthew 16, verses 13 to 15. Again, we read when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Well, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the other prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Notice that. I mean, you know, he asked them pretty much, What's the word on the street with regard to me? Doesn't really matter, though, when it comes to salvation, what others think about me. What do you say? Who do you think I am? John 11, verses 25 and 6, Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Look, he says, do you believe this? Most churchgoers would immediately respond by saying, I believe in Jesus. I always have. Well, that's great, but the Bible says that Satan and his demons believe everything about Jesus that we evangelicals believe. We talked about this Sunday. Again, think about it. Satan and his demons believe everything we evangelicals believe about Jesus Christ, who he is and what he did. In fact, and I've used this illustration before, bear with me, and we'll close. In a lot of churches where they have memberships, all right, at one point, uh, people apply to be a member of that church. It gives them certain privileges. They can vote on church issues, uh, which a lot of churches will do. But um, we don't have a formal membership. You come to Calvary for you know, a few months, and you believe this is where God wants you. You're, you're a member, okay? Um, pretty loose, but we're, we're, you're a member, okay? Um, I understand memberships, and they have some good things about them. But I don't like this, you know, well, I'm a member, and you're kind of not a member. I'm, you know, the privileged few, and you're like the, the lowly outcast. You know, I, I don't like the two-tier system, you know, the class system, no. But I understand. I mean, I'm not putting churches down to have membership. I understand why they do. But let's just say for a minute that... Um, you know, as, as people apply to be members, what they do is they have to go before Board of Elders. And they ask them questions to find out if they're Orthodox in their belief about Jesus Christ and about, you know, uh, the faith and so on, right? What if Satan applied to be a member of our church? And we're imagining, right? Uh, well, what, what if he applied to be a member in a, just a Christian church? 
uh, like ours. And leaders interviewed uh, him uh, as they would any me potential member. Uh, the interview would probably go something like this, all hypothetical, okay. Um, Satan, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? What would the devil say? Of course I believe he's the Son of God. Uh, me and my demons were some of the first to claim to people he was God's Son. Sure, I mean, we know, we saw you know, him being born. Uh, we, we know that uh, he came from the Father. Uh, do you believe he was born of a virgin? Of, yes, of course. Again, I was there, Satan would say. I, I saw when the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary announcing that she would, was chosen to be the mother of Messiah and that a man would not touch her, have no physical contact with her, but she would be overshadowed by the power of the Most High and the Holy Spirit would impregnate her womb with the seed of God and she would be the mother of the Son of God. Yeah, of course I do. Well, Satan, do you believe that Jesus died in the cross? Yeah. Uh, who do you think helped put him there? No, I, yeah, of course I do. I was there to watch them nail him to the cross. Of course I believe that. Well, do you believe he rose the third day from the dead? Absolutely. Again, I was there that morning when the stone was rolled away and Jesus stepped from that tomb alive. Of course I believe that. Well, do you believe he's coming again to judge the world in righteousness and establish a kingdom? <laughs> what do you think I've been fighting so hard again? No. Yeah, I believe that. I believe that, uh, and of course, I was there when, the, when God the Father made the Son of Promise. You can read Psalm 2. Uh, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool, and I'll give you the kingdom. I'll, I'll give you the world to be your kingdom, and so on. Of course I believe that, Satan would say. And we, at this point, we might be prone to say, well, are you saying that you believe the Bible is the Word of God? He would say, well, of course I believe the Bible is the Word of God. I know the Holy Spirit inspired it gave it to various authors that wrote it down and compiled these books into one book. Yes, I believe the Bible is the Word of God. I mean, think about that, all right? Um, <laughs> if that's the answers he would give to a church uh, board of elders uh, who were uh, considering him for membership, they'd have to look at each other and say, well, what do you think? Shall we let him in? I mean, he believes everything we believe about Jesus and the Bible and so on. Sure he does. But as we've been trying so hard on Sunday mornings to point out, the demons believe and tremble that Jesus is the Son of God, Satan. But it's not mere head knowledge that gets a person into heaven. If that was the case as a Roman Catholic, I would have gone to heaven if I had died before I became a Christian because I believed everything I believe now about Jesus when I was in the Roman Catholic Church. And yet I wasn't saved. Why? Because even though I had the head knowledge, the information, just like the devil and the demons have the right information about Christ, the devil and his demons are rebels. They, didn't, they refused to bow to the Lord's authority over their lives. They're rebels. And I was a rebel. Not as bad as some rebels, but I was a rebel. I was doing my own thing, living my life, uh, doing what pleased me, making my own decision. I never asked God to help me make a decision. I just did whatever I thought was right. Of course, I don't do that now because I have a master I've bowed to. I've bowed the knee to Jesus. I've confessed him as my Lord. He's in control now. 
That's the difference between us who are born again. Yeah, we have the right information. That's important. That's why we go out and preach the gospel, so that people can have the right information. But at one point, you have to press them to make a decision. Now, what about this information? Are you willing to receive it into your heart and bow the knee to Christ and, uh, and accept him as your Lord and your Savior? Those that say yes, we pray and they receive Christ and they are saved because now they have bowed the knee. Now they have submitted to him. They've surrendered their life, right? That's what faith is. Okay, that's what faith is. I'll close with a true story uh, that I heard years ago about a missionary to the New Hebrides, which is a group of islands in the South Pacific. His name was John Payton. And uh, John Payton went over to the uh, New Hebrides to preach the gospel to the natives there. Now, he actually went over with his wife and uh, infant daughter, and uh, th- he no sooner got, they no sooner got there that the wife and daughter got very sick and died. And so John buried them with his own hands and then laid on their graves for three days so the natives wouldn't dig up the bodies and eat them as cannibals. This guy was a committed guy, so he stayed. And he began to translate the scriptures, New Testament, into their language so that they could have God's word. And when he came across the word faith in the, in the Bible, he, um, he was stumped because the, the, these people, these natives, didn't have a word in their vocabulary for faith. Now, that's a pretty important concept, right? What do you do? How do you communicate the gospel without being able to articulate in their language the idea of what it means to have faith? So he prayed. I forgot how many days or a couple weeks he prayed about this until one day he was in his hut doing some work, and one of the natives who had run a long distance to bring him some kind of a message comes in the door and sits down on one of John's chairs and says, it feels so good to put my whole weight on this chair. And he said it in the native tongue. And Peyton says, that's the word. That's what faith is. It's putting our whole weight on Jesus Christ. That's what it means. And so he used that as the word for faith to communicate to them what, you know, trusting in Christ was really all, putting your whole weight on him where he now is basically carrying us, right? And I would ask a group of people that I didn't know where they were with the Lord, have you put your whole weight on Jesus Christ? Now, I would ask that to Christians. There's a lot of Christians who believe in Jesus but have not put their whole weight. I'm not saying they're not saved. I'm just saying they're still trying to keep part of their life for themselves and not having not surrendered completely to Jesus Christ. The more you surrender to Jesus, the more you allow him to take control of your life, my life, the more we will benefit from all he wants to do in and through us, the blessings, the power, uh, the, the way he will use us. We're the biggest uh, uh, impediment to being used by God and to be becoming fruitful, victorious, more than conquerors, it's because we are not uh, surrendering fully to Jesus. This is, the, this is a challenge for the new year. As we come into the new year, make that your constant prayer. Lord, give me the grace to surrender to you more and more every day.
I don't make. I don't want to make a decision. I don't want to do anything without without seeking you first. Every for everything. And see as you begin to walk in that kind of a lifestyle. What how it revolutionizes your walk with the Lord, and what He uses you for in the new year. Um, incredible. I'm I'm convinced. Uh, incredible transformational take place. So, all right, we will meet next Wednesday, and then we'll break until the new year, because we have Christmas on Wednesday and New Year's on Wednesday. So uh, come on back. We'll try to, there's some great things still in, in, in 1 John 5. We want to look at them. I mean, there's a dynamic section on prayer and some other things, and uh, there's some great things. So come on back. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word and how your word lays out for us. Um, well, your truth, Lord, your light, by which if we walk in that light, we'll never stumble in darkness. Lord, we are living in a world full of lies. It's not getting any better. The lies are becoming more intense, even more sophisticated, so that it's harder and harder to determine what is a lie and what is not a lie. The only thing that saves us is knowing your word, the truth. Give us grace, Lord, to study it voraciously, and uh, that we might always walk in your truth. Father, we ask you to just uh, go before us now and bless the rest of our week for your glory. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.